Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassiri li amri wa ahlul uqdatan bil lisani yafqahu qawli. All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabina Muhammad. Brothers and sisters in Islam, Salamullahi alaykum wa rahmatuhu wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our Friday and bless whatever remains from it. Uh, we are in the final hours and um, as we discussed uh, yesterday uh, during our uh, uh, desert excursion courtesy of uh, Tazkiyah tours, um, we spoke about some of the virtues of Friday and um, we said from it is this hour so inshallah we'll have this lesson uh, which is also a wonderful thing to do uh, in this most blessed time and then move on uh, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and beg from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yes we must especially since we're in the city of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a blessed masjid and you are all about to depart and go back to where you came from uh, that such is the dunya time uh, goes so fast uh, you uh, just last Friday uh, you observed the Umrah and it's already another Friday and you don't know what happened uh, in between subhanallah from the signs of Qiyamah the coming together of time but on the bus uh, over here we spoke about how to inject barakah into our time and into our wealth and we should take care of those lessons um, as we return back home as well. So make dua to Allah in this hour for Allah to help you in all uh, the realizations that you've come to learn uh, throughout this journey in terms of where your life is and where you want your life to be and ask Allah to assist you in uh, paving for you the steps that you will use uh, to build your life up bi-idnillahi ta'ala. Uh, brothers and sisters in Islam, uh, in yesterday's um, uh, trip to the outskirts of Medina, to the deserts of Medina, uh, we spoke about the importance of brotherhood uh, and um, how uh, virtuous um, good union and unity is in terms of the creation of ignited communities that benefit humanity. Um, and in our last in-house sitting, wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, in our last in-house sitting, um, I want to discuss with you some points pertaining to the virtues of Masjid al-Nabawi and then inshallah uh, briefly discuss with you some of the first uh, laws that came down after the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina or some of the laws that came down in the early years of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and some um, technical lessons that we can take from it uh, to assist us in understanding how robust and complete and holistic uh, Islam is bi ta'ala. So in terms of this wonderful masjid that we've, we've been spending our time in um, over the last um, few days um, is firstly that this is the masjid that has foundations laid upon taqwa and this is upon the tafsir of some of the scholars of tafsir when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِّسَ عَلَى التَّقْوَى and this is in um, uh, the 11th juz the first quarter of the 11th juz Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, tells us about this masjid that was laid down upon righteousness 
and um, some tafsir uh, state this ayah to refer to Masjid Quba and some uh, stated to refer to Masjid al-Nabawi and both references are correct we know that this Masjid was not a Masjid laid down upon the foundations of disunity right so unfortunately today sometimes Masjid are used uh, in a show of power right we have a community that's united there's a difference of opinion then a group of them say we're going to start our own masjid and we're going to be in our own masjid and then there's a madrasa and people are united and then uh, in a show of ego because some people can they decide we're going to open our own madrasa these are establishments not founded upon righteousness and upon piety these are establishments founded upon unfortunately and founded upon uh, the manhaj and methodology of shaitan and that is uh, indeed sad and not conducive towards igniting any community it's only conducive towards assisting the endeavor and mandate of shaitan and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his protection from this and it comes with follow-on uh, harms upon the community as a whole because uh, at one stage the community was donating their money to one establishment now there's two establishments asking for uh, the community's money so that they can pay the bills and keep the electricity going and the water running and the water warm and so on and so forth so now the community is stuck that before I was giving 10 pounds here now I have to give 5 pounds and 5 pounds there they're trying to spread it they're trying to assist everybody and what happens both establishments cannot really run upon the platform of excellence they both offer mediocre offerings to the community and just yesterday we spoke about the importance of the masjid and how the masjid is the ministry all sorts of ministries really it is the foundation of all development and establishment and that is why the prophet وسلم, built the masjid before he even built his home so from the benefits of this masjid or the virtues of it is number one it is founded upon taqwa number two and we discussed this earlier in the bus coming here a salah in it is equal to 1000 prayers and again uh, I highlight to you all the salah inside it, not on the on the outside of what is understood to be the masjid. This is different to the discussion of masjid al-haram. Masjid al-haram, there's a difference of opinion between the scholars whether the 100,000 rewards is specific to the salah inside the masjid boundary or is it uh, inclusive of salah observed anywhere within the boundary of the haram. With regards to masjid al-nabawi, the 1,000 rewards is for the salah done inside the masjid. Unless the masjid is full and you're praying with the imam and your jama'ah or you, you catch the jama'ah with the rose outside the masjid, then that's different. It's similar to our discussion when we visited uh, Mina and we said the tents of Muzdalifah follow the ruling of Mina. Why? Because it's considered an overflow. So the ruling encompasses them. So if the imam is, is, is leading the prayer and everyone is praying behind the imam and because the masjid is full, you find rose outside like we find during Ramadan. Uh, mostly with regards to Masjid al-Nabawi or, or, or the Hajj period, then uh, your salah behind the Imam uh, fulfills the conditions for you to uh, receive a thousand rewards for every salah. I highlight that because some people, maybe they're feeling a bit tired, they just park outside the Masjid, offer uh, their extra salah, their sunnah or their duha or something, walk into the Masjid, Alhamdulillah, there's a thousand rewards waiting for you for every prayer offered there. Uh, the third virtue of this Masjid is that it's one of the three Masajid that a Muslim is allowed to travel to for the purpose and sake of visiting a masjid. The Prophet Sallallahu said in the hadith of Abu Hurairah in Sahih al-Bukhari that the provisions of a journey should not be tied to the riding animal except if that journey is to three masajid. And this was when people 
traveled for a purpose, they would obviously have to tie their provisions to the animal and prepare the animal and so on and so forth. So the Prophet Sallallahu is saying that no one should prepare the animal for any journey for the purpose of a masjid except if you're visiting three masajid. And these three are Masjid Al-Haram and Masjid Al-Nabawi and Masjid Al-Aqsa. We don't travel for the purpose of visiting a masjid to any other masjid besides these three. And the Salah in Masjid Al-Aqsa carries the rewards of 500 uh, Salah. 500 uh, Salah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, free the masjid and make it uh, and grant it easy access for the Ummah. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. So this is the third virtue in terms of Masjid Al-Nabawi. From the virtues of Masjid Al-Nabawi is that there is a rawdah and in uh, or, or this rawdah as we find in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, what is between my house, meaning the apartment of Aisha radiallahu anha, and that's where he lay now sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as well as Abu Bakr, as well as Umar radiallahu anhu ajma'in. Uh, between my house and my pulpit is a garden from the gardens of Jannah, and that is the rawdah, and we understand it when we, when we look at the carpet. And that is where the prayers are being led from now. Right? They've moved the imam from the, uh, the, 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 the mihrab al-Uthmani, or the Ottomans, uh, mihrab to the mihrab of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a logistical. Uh, this is what I've read. It was a logistical move. It just happened a few weeks ago, um, so that people could have easy access in terms of um, passing their salams to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And I think it has helped. We've seen that the flow of traffic is much quicker because we don't have people sitting and praying Quran and reciting Sunnah in that section anymore. So it's a um, um, a wider section. So. Uh, the Imam leads now from the Rawdah. Um, and we should try and get to the Rawdah, but not at the expense of uh, the safety of the Ummah. Right? Some people want to get to the Ummah, Allah al uh, through leaving scars on other members of the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, they, put, they pluck an elbow there, and stick a fist there, and a headbutt there. This is not uh, what the Rawdah was, 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 was placed for in terms of this Ummah, like the Hajar al-Aswat, unfortunately. Uh, I was on the rooftop after one Fajr and uh, unfortunately saw that which only made the heart sad. Right? People fighting and pulling and you could hear screams, like death screams coming out uh, of, of that area. Allah al-Musta'ad. Huh? Some of us are smiling, but subhanAllah, it's a means of, of crying that this Hajar al-Aswat didn't come down for the Ummah to behave like this. It didn't come down to make the Ummah sad. But this is how people are behaving and this is unfortunate that to do a Sunnah we are committing crimes. It's haram to harm anybody. But it's sunnah to kiss the Hajar al-Aswad. How, how can you do a haram to practice a sunnah? This doesn't even make sense. right? So I think uh, you, you, you are rewarded more for staying away from it if your intention is not to cause harm to the ummah because the situation doesn't uh, facilitate actually kissing it. And the Prophet ﷺ gave us alternatives. The same thing applies with the rawdah. Do not hurt anyone. Now I do know that there's some people who come from different backgrounds, different cultures. They come, some people come, like I was explaining to my son little Abdullah, he had an observation uh, in Mecca. He says, SubhanAllah, the people from this particular country, they must be the most sinful. I said, why? He says, because they hurt and push everyone. <laughs> so this was a, a young observation. I said, no, no, we don't want to say they're sinful because they, perhaps they come from a land where if you don't push and shove, you don't get anything. You know, nice people finish last as it is said. So to them it's just normal to do like this that if we it's it's part of the DNA so we make excuses for them but we shouldn't behave in that way as well 
So we have the rawdah, if we can pray in it, we should try. Uh, then, from the virtues of this masjid is that seeking knowledge in it is far virtuous than seeking knowledge outside of it. And that's why we have the Ma'ad al-Haram. There's, there's, a, there's a secondary school that runs from the Haram and uh, a bachelor's degree university that runs from the Haram. You sit on the floor and that's why you see the big chairs there. And this happens during the day. Um, and upon the academic calendar in Saudi Arabia and you enroll, it's a longer program. Uh, but it's a beautiful program and uh, as we can see from this there's the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an, in which he says whoever enters this masjid to learn something good or teach it is like the one who struggles in Allah's way and whoever enters it for any other purpose is like the one who looks at something that does not belong to him so we've been encouraged by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in this hadith to have the intention of seeking knowledge when we we get into it don't go into the masjid and start admiring the Andalusian style or the Spanish style architecture and so on and so forth because the masjid does have does capture some of the Islamic heritage in terms of uh, the expansion of the masjid then you've got the front part of the masjid which has all this calligraphy from the Ottoman uh, Empire and so on and so forth then we go and we're taking our pictures and enjoying this and enjoying that and the durus are going on uh, now alhamdulillah we have lessons in English and different uh, languages uh, and uh, nobody has the intention for that so this is from the mouth of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that if you go for other reasons and not to learn from it, it's like looking at something that you're not supposed to uh, to look at meaning you've done you've definitely done something wrong there and caused yourself to uh, be in a state of loss then um, so I, I'll stick there inshallah I think these five uh, benefits are uh, sufficient for today's uh, sitting one other thing I want to mention is that sometimes today we look down at people who raise money to build a masjid or an establishment and we shouldn't do this for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked Abu Bakr I'm just touching on a point that I wanted to touch on yesterday but it escaped my prefrontal cortex at the time uh, and I remembered it later and I thought I must share it with them we said yesterday that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked Abu Bakr for the 10 gold coins he raised that's in effect raising money uh, for, uh, for purchasing the land of the masjid and uh, then no doubt um, uh, other funds were uh, were raised or donations were taken in terms of the bricks and the infrastructure uh, of, of, of Masjid al-Nabawi we shouldn't look down at people who uh, raise money for good causes uh, for Masjids in particular and anything good related to Islam and the spread of da'wah and so on and so forth the Prophet sallallahu did fundraisers in effect we can call it that uh, before battles as well right? we know how Abu Bakr would come and leave whatever he had and Umar would come and leave uh, much of what he had and so on and so forth uh, Uthman radiallahu uh, he uh, he sponsored an entire army for one expedition of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam raised funds for Islamic causes we shouldn't look down at people I know today it happens too often perhaps uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing but perhaps I think the more pressing issue is sometimes uh, we've been bitten in terms of some organizations not practicing uh, ethical practices in terms of the funds that was given fine that's something that needs to be addressed but it shouldn't put us off right uh, or, or put us off donating to worthy causes uh, with organizations that are worthy and have shown and have a track record in terms of uh, showing due diligence with what you give that's one point the other point is we shouldn't have a stereo mind type uh, as a typeset or mindset in that because you've been stung or you've been burnt now you apply the whole general thing that everyone is like this even for example when it comes to people asking us for money which happens regularly in the Haramain uh, okay we've been taught that there's been uh, begging consortiums and syndicates 
where people hire these people to come and so on and so forth. And sometimes we find them, you find the same person over the years, you come the same person in the same corners. Huh? They, uh, they become famous for, for asking for things. Um, that is an issue. We shouldn't uh, sponsor that to promote that bad practice, but it shouldn't be at the expense of at least uh, observing due diligence with those who might actually be in need. Right? So we shouldn't paint everyone with the paintbrush. This is not from being, um, uh, from being just and fair. Uh, and no doubt uh, charity is a means of our own benefit, right? And uh, in my view, we need the causes more than the causes need us. We need the poor people more than the poor people need us. Because by giving them, if you, if you donate money, you're investing. This is how barakah comes to your rizq. And if you give them, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He grows your paradise, right? So you're benefiting. It's only an investment when you give for the sake of Allah. Today we call it a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. And we should use the right terminologies. When you, this word sacrifice, perhaps it's come from uh, Christian methodologies. Allah knows best. But sacrifice is when you, when you give up something. When you give money for the sake of Allah, you're not giving up anything. Allah says, for who Allah is going to give it to you back. Allah doesn't need your money. And give it to you back after rewarding you and building your jannah. And He's going to give you more than you gave. So this is an investment. This is no sacrifice, right? Because... Uh, what you have to eat from Allah will bring it back to you because He is responsible for your rizq and by your practices uh, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you barakah so nobody sacrifices when they give their time for an Islamic cause or they give their money for a cause which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are only investing and that is the terminology we should use people who volunteer at Islamic organizations we should call them investors people who donate for Islamic causes, we should cause them, call them investors because that is the only term for when you give something and you get more than what you gave. It's called an investment, right? So um, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant the understanding, ameen, and to bless our paradigms. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. So that's part one of the discussion. Part two of the discussion is, or is related to the laws that were revealed <coughs> after the establishment of the Muslim country. So yesterday I explained to you three things that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did to establish the Muslim country. What was number one? He built a masjid. Number two? <coughs> wealth? What, what, what about wealth? Social welfare. Social welfare. By attaching a, mu a muhajir to a ansari in, in, in true brotherhood, in real brotherhood. And I mean, it wasn't symbolical, right? And you should know that this was so real that a muhajir had greater right to the inheritance of the ansar that he was a brother of than the relatives of that Ansari at the beginning. So it was no symbolical uh, creation of relationship here. This was a real substantial relationship. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abrogated that law later when uh, the Muslims were established and the Muhajirun were established and Medina was not, not a second home, it became a home to them. That ruling was abolished. Alright, the third thing, what, what did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam do as number three? Uh, looking after the security and this is important these are these are and, and earlier on i told you in mecca i remember mentioning this point to you when we spoke about the ilafi quraish allah says فَلْيَعْبُدُ رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ worship the lord of this house الذي أطعمهم من جوع, the one who, who who kept you full from hunger وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفِ and gave you security from fear and we said the two greatest fear fears of man is what hunger and and loss of security right lack of safety if you have, if you have uh, financial standing and material well-being and you, are, you feel secure in that which you have, you don't fear for losing it or somebody 
uh, uh, usurping it from you. This is this is peace of mind, right? So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam established the brotherhood, right? So there's no hunger issues now, and then the security issues. So there's no fear issues. Subhanallah, the Sharia. This is from Allah subhanahu wa taala. There's no contradiction. There's no here in this circumstance. This is what happened in that. So how come two same circumstances but two different results? We don't see that with the religion. And it can, you can only have consistency when it comes from the perfect divine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Human beings, they forget. Human beings fail to comprehend realities and so on and so forth. The Prophet sallallahu was guided by Allah. So now Medina didn't have poverty, meaning uh, we're not saying Medina was rich. Huh? Khaybar came after. When Khaybar was opened and a lot of the openings happened, then wealth was coming into Medina. But the situation was already swine improvement. It was that quick win. The Prophet ﷺ utilized his resources, his focus, his energy, everything towards these three things. And we learn from this the fact that the masjid happened before anything else, that feeding the heart comes before feeding the belly. If the heart is not fed, then the heart is corrupt. And if the heart is corrupt, everything else will be corrupt. And as the Prophet ﷺ said, Ala inna That there's nothing about your body except a mudgha, a piece of flesh. Either saluh, if it's correct, إِذَا صَلُحَتْ صَلُحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ Or صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ If it's correct, your entire body will be correct. وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ And if it's corrupt, the entire body will be corrupt. أَلَا وَهِيَ الْقَلْبِ Indeed, it's the heart. It's the heart. And we spoke yesterday in the desert about looking after this heart. I shared with you the story of Imam al-Nawawi. He was fighting, he wanted to look after his heart. So let me gift it and not be a means of difficulty for my brother on the day of Qiyamah. It's all about meeting Allah with a, with a pure heart. As Allah says in the Quran, upon the tongue of Ibrahim, The day of Qiyamah is a day in which nobody's wealth and nobody's uh, uh, children will benefit you. The only benefit will be meeting Allah with a salim heart, with a cured heart. With a clean heart. It's all about the heart, brothers and sisters in Islam. Everything about the deen is about looking after this heart because it is the foundation that makes you or breaks you. You've see, I'm sure you've come across people who might have listened to music and overnight the same music that they loved, they hated. And the same Quran which they hated, they loved. What happened? They have the same ear, the same eardrum, same everything. What's changed? It's a change of the heart. The heart changed. So everything started behaving in a different matter, right? So um, this is what happened at the beginning in terms of uh, the early practices of the Prophet ﷺ. Now that the Muslims had a Muslim country, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the laws appropriate to their circumstance and situation. From the laws that Allah revealed early on was number one, the adhan. Number two, the change of the qibla. Number three, fasting. Number four, zakat. This was very early on. With regards to Adhan, when the Muslims arrived in Medina, well, the first thing the Prophet did was the masjid. So they were coming for salah in the masjid. They came to the masjid, however, they used to assemble for the prayer. And they used to guess the time for it. And during those days, the practice of the Adhan for the prayers had not been introduced yet. However, once a problem regarding uh, the prayer occurred and a discussion ensued, regarding having a call for the prayer. So some people suggested that, you know what, the Christians have a bell. So why don't we just use the bell? The bell rings, everyone comes and comes for the salah. 
However, this wasn't taken uh, very favorably. And as I said to you yesterday, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was to nurture us to be different, to assume our own identity and have our own identity, right? To innovate, not bad innovation, bid'ah. Innovate in the halal way. Huh? Remember we spoke about innovating. Be innovative. You be innovative. Don't copy somebody else. Don't, don't copy. Right? You come with your own. You do something which is unique to you. So this wasn't taken favorably. Some other people proposed, we use a trumpet. Because they noticed the Jews using a horn. They would blow a horn. And they said, that look, this does the job. So why don't we do the job as well? And as we said, Medina was surrounded by three uh, Jewish tribes. <laughs> but then Umar spoke and he suggested that we should appoint a man to call the people for the salah so the Prophet ordered Bilal to get up and pronounce the adhan for the prayers and this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim in another narration by Ibn Sa'ad in a book of his known as Al-Tabaqat it states that Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib uh, reported that before the adhan became the call of prayer a man used to announce salatul jami'ah so that was the call salatul jami'ah right that this is a salah which is done as a gathering so this used to be the call and the people would come it is also further stated that after the adhan they would announce this for other matters to gather the people when it was not time for salah and we see this today like salatul istisqa Salatul Kusuf or Khusuf, the Imam will, will just announce Salatul Jami'ah, Salatul Jami'ah, and then he will start the prayer. Right? So uh, we learn from this that once the Adhan came to be, the previous call became attached to prayers outside of the five daily prayers. Now, how did the words of the Adhan come to be? There's a long narration uh, regarding this uh, in terms of where did Bilal get the wordings from. And uh, it is stated that one day, Abdullah ibn Zayd radiallahu he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, O Messenger of Allah, I had a beautiful dream last night. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, what was the dream? So he said uh, that I have seen a man wearing green garments teaching me the words of the adhan and advised me to call to the prayer with these words. And he then recited the words of the adhan and the words were beautiful and full of meaning. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recognized that the dream of Abdullah was true. And he asked Abdullah to teach the words of the Adhan to Bilal So Bilal uh, The freed Abyssinian slave Perhaps this is pivotal In terms of uh, uh, breaking stereotypes and mindsets Because the Arabs they look down at slaves And also at those who are not from their color you know, That racism did exist He becomes the first man to uh, announce the Adhan After being the first slave to accept Islam so Islam doesn't differentiate between this and we discussed this at Arafah when we spoke about the, the final sermon of the Prophet So Bilal stood up and called the Adhan and the voice of Bilal radiallahu an resounded throughout Medina and people came running to Masjid al-Nabawi and Umar radiallahu an, one of the persons who came, uh, he said, O Messenger of Allah, an angel taught me the same words in my dream last night. Umar, Allah, what will make you understand who this man is? Right? So he says, I, I, I saw this in my dream last night as well. The only difference was Abdullah got to the Prophet first. So the Prophet accepted this adhan as the official adhan because he had his methodology as well in understanding what the laws of Allah will be. And no doubt he was taught that if many a companion sees something that is unified, then he would know that this is from Allah teaching me that this should be 
uh, in, uh, this is part of Islam. We know Ibrahim alayhi salam, he got his revelation about slaughtering Ismail alayhi salam through a period of dreams. So this is with regards to the Adhan. So here we see there's three stages to the Adhan. Stage number one, Salah without Adhan. Stage number two, Salah with a call, Salatul Jami'ah, which was apparently suggested by who? Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu and then Salah with the Adhan. Now Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, the famous Shafi'i uh, scholar and explainer of Sahih al-Bukhari, he has a book which is the, one of the most famous ex- explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari known as Fathul Bari. Fathul Bari. Right? And uh, he says that uh, this occurred in the first year after Hijrah. This occurred in the first year after Hijrah. So we see, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's laws coming in appropriate to the reality of the Muslims. In Mecca, they couldn't pray. They were hiding and praying. It wasn't conducive to have the adhan. And we learn from these brothers and sisters in Islam in terms of the early laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed how to prioritize our, our implementations. To prioritize when to speak and when you speak, what to speak. And this is from hikmah and wisdom. And that is why uh, the sharia, all of it is wisdom. All of it in terms of the ayat revealed. In terms of when the ayat were revealed. In terms of how the ayat were revealed. It's, all, it's full of wisdom. And the scholars def- describe wisdom as that wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. And this is the sharia. We don't have uh, rules of salah coming down when it wasn't conducive. We don't have Allah commanding us uh, against riba when people are disbelievers. The first Quran was dealing with tawheed. And, 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 and when we talk about the first Qur'an, we mean Qur'an before migration to Medina. And that's why I'm, I'm not sure if you've come across this. Many a time you open some masahif, at the beginning of a surah, it tells you the name of the surah, and then it says Makki or Madani. Makki or Madani. What does this mean? Makki means revelation before hijrah. Madani means revelation after hijrah. And there's distinct differences between Makki and Madani revelation. The Makki revelation, the Makki revelation in general, had short ayat, sharp, uh, to the point, strong in terms of meaning, powerful in terms of waking up a dead heart. And most of the messages of the Meccan ayat surrounded three things. Number one, Tawheed, worshipping one Allah. Number two, belief in the hereafter. And number three, good character. These were the three fundamental messages in uh, the Meccan period. And this is what you need to do with your children in the early years. This you go, we need to take the methodology and apply. That if your children in the early years, if you bring them upon a platform where they understand Tawheed, what is Tawheed? What isn't Tawheed? Especially in this volatile climate, brothers and sisters, that we live in today. Number two, belief in the hereafter. Because that's where the concept of muraqaba comes in. Where even when you by yourself, you choose to behave because you know you have a standing in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah and He sees you. There's nothing more powerful than that. And number three, good character. And we spoke about this on the bus, that from the heaviest things on the scales of good deeds is good character. You teach your kids these three things, inshallah, all the rest will fall into place. Because once they believe in Allah, and they fear they're standing in front of Him on the day of Qiyamah, and they have good adab, why would they reject the notion that music is haram? Why would they feel the need to debate it? Why would they feel the need to debate riba? Right? 
So Allah didn't tell people stay away from riba and leave alcohol at the beginning. No, He nurtured their character, nurtured their hearts, brought them upon uh, a platform. Then He revealed all the laws. Most when did riba become haram in Medina? When did uh, alcohol become haram in Medina and in stages? When did zakah become compulsory in Medina? The development of salah from two units to four for certain prayers in Medina. Right? And we can go on. When did Hajj become compulsory in Medina? Now there were a people who were free to practice and there were a people who were ready to obey. They didn't need to be convinced. At the beginning, if you tell someone Allah wants you to take 2.5%, he says, hey, I don't even believe in Allah. Who is he to take my money? Now you believe in him, you're ready. That's what Allah wants. That's it. Right? So this is hikmah and this is wisdom. Um, so we have uh, these uh, early uh, laws that came in within uh, the first year. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, revealed matters. Oh, the first two years, uh, fasting came, became compulsory in the second year after hijrah. Uh, zakah as well. The change of the Qibla happened early on and we're going to visit Masjid Qiblatayn tomorrow. I'm not sure if we're going to stop and go in, but we'll definitely pass it. And inside you'll find uh, a little um, uh, imprint on the wall which shows you the original Qibla that they prayed at and then uh, the, the Qibla now because of the talent. That's why basically it's called Qiblatayn. Because when the laws came down, it wasn't a microphone system and you know, uh, tea, all the TVs are broadcast. There was nothing like that. So people knew who the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and maybe a few days after that, people were still praying facing, facing uh, Aqsa, and then somebody was somebody came and saw them facing Aqsa, so he shouted that no, the rule has been changed, and they turned immediately. And there's so many lessons from this. The number one, you're not held responsible if you didn't know. We don't say repeat your salah. You were upon the last ruling and you didn't know about the change. Number two, if somebody trustworthy comes to you, one person. And he's trustworthy. He's known not to be a liar. And he comes with testimony. You, should, it's, you must accept it. You can't say, no, you one person, I'm not going to listen to you. No, the Muslims in Salah turned around through the shouting of one voice of a man saying, it's, it's changed. You've got to face Masjid al-Haram. Right? We learn this. Number three, we learn the importance of answering the call of Allah immediately. Don't live with Allah's laws as if you have a choice in the matter. As if it's open to debate. As if it's open to discussion, brothers and sisters in Islam. Don't be that person. Yeah? Don't be that person. And as Allah says in the Quran, That Islam wasn't for a believing male and female. That when the, when the command of Allah and the teaching of the Messenger came, they felt that they had a choice in the matter. No, this is an ummah of Sami'na wa Ata'na. That's what it is, brothers and sisters in Islam. But with that, we come to the end of our in-house uh, session. We'll end here so that you can have ample time to make wudu and go to the haram and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, today the haram was full and last night it was full. But as you saw from Asr, as I advised, it will come back to normal. Uh, because many people will now pray in their local masajid. They won't be coming to the haram. Uh, so even for the sisters, uh, I don't know, normally it's difficult getting into the haram. Uh, I believe some of you tried to go last night. I hope it was okay. Nobody got injured or anything. It's, uh, I, did send, I did ask uh, Brother Sajid to send a message out uh, because somebody mentioned to me that there was a meeting at 9 and you're going to go together. Then I remember it's Thursday night. From my previous experiences, it is difficult. People, it is squashy and pushy and it can get ugly. Uh, so inshallah, try tonight uh, to go. It will be inshallah 
easier bidnillahi ta'ala not easy but easier inshallah uh, it all depends uh, so we will uh, stop this lesson here tomorrow inshallah i will speak to you in the bus about uhud and its lessons about the trench and its lessons we've spoken now about qiblatain um, and i think uh, then we go to masjid quba uh, when we depart here i will tell you about masjid quba as well but what i would advise brothers and sisters in islam that you get on the bus with wudu and it just happened that alhamdulillah the ziyarah is happening on a saturday and the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was to travel with wudu from his home on a saturday to quba and observe two units and the reward of that is the reward of an umrah so alhamdulillah right um, but it's not specific to doing it on a saturday but alhamdulillah tomorrow we can uh, intend to practice the sunnah of going on a saturday because it's worked out uh, alhamdulillah last but not least brothers and sisters in islam um, this is not scolding anyone but uh, when we said 4.45 yesterday, we started at 5. Then we said, let's start at 5, because it was easier for everyone to come at 5, but people got in at 5.15. Yeah, and he, uh, I'm going to say it because, as I said, I value your time, and I value my mission. Ignited communities that benefit humanity. There's no way you're going to wake up as an ummah if you can't respect time. There's no way you're going to do this. I swear by Allah, there's no way you're going to do this. If you can't respect time, you will never wake up as an ummah. The Allah has taken an oath by time in many a place in the Quran. Many a place. Teaching us how important time is. Wal Fajr. Wal Asr. Right? These are moments in time. Wal Duha. Another moment in time. In more than one place in the Quran does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take a qasam uh, by time. And then Allah set the salah at fixed and prescribed times. Inna salata kanat ala al-mu'minina kitaban mawquta. Allah says, indeed the salah has been prescribed upon the ummah at fixed and prescribed times. And Allah says, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ Woe to those who pray the salah after its fixed and prescribed time. So the concept of time is mighty. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ said that from the signs of hypocrisy, not saying that doesn't mean you're a hypocrite, but the signs of hypocrisy is when you don't, fulfill your promises and from failing to fulfill your promises is in failing to respect time this is perhaps maybe it's a western thing that creeps into some of the brothers growing up in the west because of the university atmosphere you come into class when you want you leave when you want to you know some people say i've paid for it so it's my right uh, i've had this in courses i've taught in the uk they say well i paid to come so i'm free to come in when i want when i don't want no you're not free right you paid for it uh, this da'wah doesn't need you your develop this this uh, religion doesn't need you you need it and if you're going to need it then you better be with it how it expects you to be with it i believe that everyone who popped in late you had a valid excuse there was something beyond your control but nonetheless it's my responsibility uh, especially since i endeavor to be a murabbi to my fellow brothers and sisters to uh, call a spade a spade and not a big spoon sometimes and to uh, at least advise and remind and as Allah says فَإِنَّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ and remind and advise for indeed in these reminders are benefits for the ummah and we all need it I need it as well uh, I, I kid you not I need it and uh, I've said it many a time that the most therapeutic moments for me are when I return after a long summer of travel and uh, teaching to come and sit in front of my teachers with a pen with a book it's very therapeutic Right? Even though they might teach me something that I might have learned previously, it's very therapeutic. It's just how it is, brothers and sisters in Islam. And in this final dua, ensure that you also thank Allah for making us Muslims and guiding us as Muslims. And ask Allah not to make us die except as Muslims, us and our children and all those who we love. 
inshallah tomorrow barakallahu fikum wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh